0: Infirmary Media.
1: People engage stop the jewel in decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Scrap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love.
2: Jewel in decades.
1: Poop culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Fan, hater, locked in mortal combat with David Gray. Fan ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love.
2: Jewel in decades. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let me introduce this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for as we return to tag team action here on our show. First off, let me introduce to you my tag team partner. Because if you can't beat them, join them. It's the other half of the Mamelukes, Man Crush.
1: What's up? Let's get it on. Let's do this. All right, Mamelukes, we have October. 1989, which is a very odd year. Every time we get the late 80s, I'm not happy about it.
2: And our opponents dueling with October of 1998.
3: Well, hey, everybody. Long time no here. My name is Bo B. I am a male prostitute living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. My partner this week is Drew. Drew, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, let the folks at home know our team name.
0: Hey, guys. How's everybody doing? And thanks for having me on. My name is Drew Zachman, and I am your ever-so-faithful host of the One Head Light 90s podcast. And Bo and I will be the male enhancement talents on this lovely evening. Mm. <laughs> Representing
3: uh, October 1998, the reciprocal year. Yeah.
2: And as always here on our show, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So let me introduce to you tonight's judge. He's back, ladies and gentlemen, the badass from Beantown, the host of the Selling Out podcast, Judge Dave Schultz. Hey,
4: everybody. Happy to be here and even happy to lay my hammer down
1: again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five are worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Duelers, all I want to do is zoom-a-zoom-zoom-zoom in a boom-boom and play some Dueling Decades. All right, so over to Judge Dave Schultz for the official toss-off. All right. Mm.
4: um, You know, last time I was on, I didn't really come with something uh, that official to flip. So now I'm a little bit more prepared, and I brought a copy of uh, Cocoon on VHS, which is a wonderful film. (laughs) So you guys can either choose the cover or the backside to which Time Magazine proclaims an exhilarating fable.
0: Which shall it be? I feel like we need the backside of Wilford Brimley. Yeah, I'm, I'm
3: thinking any <laughs> anything that involves uh, Ron Howard deserves to be on the backside.
0: Well,
4: actually, Brimley isn't even on the backside of this box. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, oh. That's Donna, a shame. but you're picking Don Amici, so that's still pretty darn good.
3: These are my testing supplies.
4: Let's see if you get a little Jessica Tandy action here. I am ready to flip. <laughs> and it is the
2: old people side, it is the back. All right. Male enhancement talents. You guys have control of the board. What category would you like first?
3: Drew, you're the you're the guest this go around. Why don't you uh, why don't you start us off? Pick a category here.
2: So the the first three rounds are
0: one point, right? And the last two are two. Is that my understanding these rules correctly here, gentlemen? Correct, gentle? Correct. Gentle. gentle sirs. All right. So I would say, um, Bo, how would you feel about television going first?
3: I like it. I like it. Okay. Go ahead.
0: So I will, I will, I'll leave this one off. Uh, so my pick uh, debuted on October 1st, 1998. We started the month off the right way. Uh, the world has made a better place thanks to the debut of the Style Network. The channel was originally launched as a Style Network, although on-air promotions typically referred to it as simply Style. Uh, as I mentioned, October 1st, 1998, serving as kind of a spinoff of E!, and then in 2013, the Style Network changed its name to the Esquire Network, which obviously made it seem much more prestigious. Uh, and then starting around 2008, I think our lives were made so much better because Style shifted its focus to personality-based reality programming. And who can forget the personalities such as Jersey Licious, Tia and Tamara, and Big Rich Texas, along with a female-focused spin-off of the soup known as The Dish. So Style Network, guys. Everybody watched it, right? That's
1: so nineteen ninety-eight. <laughs> if pe- people watch that, right? Quintessential nineteen ninety-eight. I think, yeah, you know what? I've watched a show on Esquire before. It was the uh replay of American Ninja Warrior. Mm. Good call. Yeah. I was there were sick. some good
0: there were some good replays on it. I mean, I think they had Airwolf, which is fantastic, and A Team, there are a bunch of others, but yeah. JerseyLicious. Get some Jersey.
1: It totally does
0: not fit with fucking no.
3: Esquire. Isn't that a bubble tape flavor?
2: Uh,
0: yeah, it tastes like it tastes like crabs. Probably tastes like spray
2: tan. I think that was Hubba Bubba.
0: <laughs> Spr- spray tan and, and crabs.
2: All new Bazooka Joe Jerseylicious. Tastes like old bay and shame.
0: It's like guaranteed to give you a cold sore. Shitty zebra stripe. <laughs>
3: it's got a breva in it
1: <laughs> and also
3: trace amounts of nicotine if you're trying to kick the habit of smoking
1: probably I'm glad you guys are really talking up your first pick <laughs> hey it's the it's the
3: all-encompassing gum man
1: all right what do you got bo all right
3: uh my television pick is going to be one that debuted october 7 1998 this is an Aaron spelling joint uh, and his production company, Spelling Television, very aptly named. I'm talking about the American fantasy drama called Charmed. <laughs> you laugh, but any so supernatural-style show that opens up to a cover of How Soon Is Now by the Smiths has my yeah, vote. This uh, Absolutely. I, I mean, I think actually this show was just rebooted. Um, It ran in syndication for what seemed like years and years and years, so it, it's got this pretty large cult following. I wouldn't say it's massive by any means, but... It was kind of a standout for the WB, which really still you know, w, yeah, yeah. CW is <laughs> WB is now CW. They're kind of known for like you know those underground cult type original series and stuff. Um, but the first episode garnered 7.7 7 million viewers, which is a pretty good haul by today's standards, if you think about it. Oh uh, yeah, broke the record for the network's highest rated debut episode. Pretty uh, pretty decent cast, especially for a pubescent child like me who really got into it. <laughs> Shannon Doherty. Alyssa Milano, Rose McGowan, Holly Marie Combs. Uh, if you don't know what the series is about, it, it pretty much follows this trio of sisters. Uh, they're known as the Charmed Ones, uh, the most powerful good witches of all time, and they use their combined power of three to protect innocent lives from evil beings such as demons and warlocks. So this is a predecessor to that uh, shitty Zach Began show. This one, however, ran for eight seasons before its end on May 21st, 2006. So this thing ran for quite um, almost uh, almost a decade.
1: Which way did it go? Did um did Rose McGowan start or did the other chick start? Shannon Doherty started, I think. Oh, and it was then Sharon. Do- I know one person left, and they replaced her with the no name. Yeah, right? she
3: was there for like a hot minute, and then uh, the other three pretty much kind of took the ball
1: and ran with it. You could tell I've uh, spent many a nights watching Charmed. I'm not gonna lie, I
3: put in as, a pretty as decent amount of time with Charmed growing up because I thought all you know, I was like probably twelve. Somewhere in that ballpark, when it came out, I was like, "These chicks are all hot, and they can do witch shit." <laughs> with
0: they have their magic. clothes on, <laughs> yeah, that song by I Love Spit Love, the the Smiths cover, so good. I never I knew it song. was
1: a cover until you said that. Actually,
0: yeah, that's a great. It's
1: what a, a great, great cover. riff! What a great
3: yeah.
0: song.
1: Is it better than the Star Trek? Uh, which one is like it has like the regular song in the beginning, the last Star Trek with uh, Scott Bakula.
0: Not Scott Packett, holy
3: geez. I have no
1: idea what you're talking about. Are you talking oh, about uh,
3: men of a certain it, age co starring uh, Ray?
1: No, you got to Like after this episode, you, if you never heard it before, I don't even remember what Star Trek he was on because, of course, this is like after the 90s. I think it started in 01, maybe. Is it Enterprise?
0: That sounds like a UPN 9 show.
1: Oh yeah, totally was. But the uh, the intro song is so bad. It's like a regular song, and it goes on for like three minutes. Oh, man. <laughs> it's fucking terrible. Anyhow, I digress. The
4: Quantum Leap song was pretty good, right? So he kind of made up for it later.
1: Yeah, oh, or yeah, before, rather.
4: Yeah.
2: So there you go. All right, man. Crush this TV round is over to us. Do you want to start this one off, or should I? Uh,
1: go ahead and start it off because I don't even know what you have. I forget.
2: All right. Uh, on television. October 24th, 1989, was season two, episode six of the popular sitcom, Roseanne. And what's interesting about this one is this was the very first time Jackie is seen in her police uniform. Ugh. Huge monumental event. No, okay, that's not the huge event. But it is the first appearance of Roseanne's future husband, Tom Arnold, as Arnie. See, so he had come on to the show as a writer because he entered into a relationship, of course, with Roseanne. They had met back in 1983, but then in February of 89, they actually went to a Grateful Dead concert together, and that's kind of where the romance and turmoil started. And then he wrote himself onto the television show, and this was the first episode where he came on to that show. It really shows the power and influence that Roseanne had over that show at that time. So that's my first pick on television, October 24th, 1989. Episode entitled Five of a Kind of Roseanne.
1: And the big thing there, this is kind of the changing of the guard in 1989. She starts to take over that top slot from the Cosbys. I think 89 might have been the year where they tied at the end of the year. Yeah. But then from there on out, you know, she started to take over. But good call with the power thing i mean that that makes total sense there
3: tom arnold started taking over her slot too
0: (laughs) yum i was gonna say them getting smitten at a grateful dead concert really explains a lot
2: he actually has a grateful dead tattoo because of that event i don't know now if he looks back on that as a positive or a negative but
1: good for him well you know what that uh that kind of put him in the public eye because before that did you really know who tom arnold was no exactly You know, so that kind of did it for him. All right. Anyhow, October 7th, 1989, 11 years off of Bo's pick or uh, nine years off Bo's pick. We get the final episode of a show that was an American staple for 37 years and 3000 episodes. The show began 1952 and brought us the man that set the standard for every radio personality since. That's because Dick Clark was involved with the show for 33 seasons. All the way to its final episode 1989 making dick clark the media tycoon that he became if you haven't figured it out yet the show that teenagers dance to top 40 hits anybody know the show casey casey no no (laughs) it's american bandstand yes i know ah casey casey um aside from you know dick clark a national treasure the show also featured television debuts the jackson five Prince Aerosmith Sonny and Cher the list goes on and on with the show but most importantly you have to look at the the cultural aspect of the show and the significance because you know you had the average American teenager for over 30 years watching the show in the 90s we had cable in the 2000s on out the kids had the internet and YouTube in the 50s through the 80s kids had American Bandstand this is where they saw the top 40 hits because you had like four stations so you watch this So that's my pick. October 7th, 1989, American Bandstand goes off the air after 3,000 episodes.
2: All right, Judge Dave Schultz, over to you for the ruling for the first round.
4: We really started off with a barn burner here, huh, guys? This was not the best category I've ever heard in my life. Uh, (laughs) It's round one. (laughs) I know. I know. All right, so we're looking at 98, right? Style Network, style of which I have none. You guys did go off on a gum tangent. I do like gum. But I can't ever admit to watching any of the Style Network Charmed. I think Bo brought up Broke the Record for the debut on the network. Unfortunately, that was a network that nobody was watching. Now, uh, in 89, Roseanne, the Tom Arnold bit. That's pretty ballsy, but I don't think it was very monumental or historic or something that people really remember. And the Dick Clark American Bandstand, I must admit... It's iconic. You know what I mean? So I think that's probably the the heaviest hitter in this entire category. So, therefore, I'm going to have to give the Mama Lukes the win for this one.
2: Hey. we hey. snuck that one out, man, Grush. I, I I didn't really wow.
1: think this was going to be a very strong round, you going with that episode of Roseanne. But I think it's not really as bad as David made it sound there. It's Oh, come on. Well, the, mean, listen, the, the whole I, Tom Arnold I, thing and like you gotta you gotta look at nineteen eighty nine where it's at. But you give us the round, so I'm not arguing about it. I'm just saying there's some legs to it.
4: I have a question, since I didn't do any research whatsoever, but being October, <laughs> there was no like great Halloween special or anything a little bit more fun to kinda, you know, sink your teeth
1: into. <laughs> Nothing that would have won this round. Yeah,
2: no. Uh-huh. Let's
1: put it that way. I will say for Bose with that seven point seven rating. Looking back in 1998 and just knowing the whole Monday Night Raw and uh, the Nitro ratings, that's a fucking insane rating, yeah, because that's like a two higher than both those shows, yeah oh, at their yeah. at their peak. So that's uh you had that's a list of Milano, big. obviously. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Can't argue with that.
4: The power of 12 year old boys watching hot girls do magic, as Bo said, right?
0: I, that's I mean, worth two I've, points I've right a little there. bit of
3: magic being performed <laughs> on my behalf, too. I was learning all kinds of
0: spells. <laughs> did Roseanne ever chew Jersey Licious gum? <laughs> <laughs> now, if she did that, that's monumental.
1: Uh, she might have. That's I believe Rosian. that
3: episode was brought to you by Jersey Licious Gum. Mm.
1: Uh, where do <laughs> My you want to go, there, Mark? Um, do you want to go? Oh, geez, it's you know it's pretty even keel all the way through. I would say so. I'll let you pick whatever whatever you feel.
2: Uh let's go Hot Products.
1: Mmm, Hot Carl.
2: All right, and I'll start off, I guess, because in October 1989. Pam breaks the school dress code rules in her first Playboy cover. Yes, we're talking about Pamela Anderson. And Playboy knew way back when, before she became a big star, that she would become a big star. Because, of course, Pamela Anderson donned the cover of Playboy for the very first time in October of 1989. And she has donned the cover of that magazine 14 times more than any other women in Playboy history. And it all started in October of 1989. With a very, very hot product. And a
1: hot cover.
2: It was really hot, man. It's a great cover. And if you check it out, like, of course, she's, you know, all splayed out in her little uniform there. <laughs> splayed out. <laughs> but if you read on the side, there's a, uh, a Julie McCullough pictorial. You know, you won't see her like this on Growing Pains. <laughs> fully clothed <laughs> <laughs> the great interview on the in the issue of course with uh keith richards but you know who really cares about that it's got pam anderson on the cover and she never looked better
3: and if you had pam anderson getting drilled by keith richards that would be a monumental magazine right there <laughs>
2: that's a hot product mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
2: that's
1: blazing hot
2: <laughs> on that note man crush over to you for hot products
1: all right so i got october 13th 1989 and This is a date that I'm going to go with as the release date since the company behind it only uses October of 89. So I went back to the newspapers. I found the first print ad that I could find, October 13th, 1989. Found the item on sale, no less. Uh, This is a product where I think even myself before reading this, I thought Nintendo made it. And it was actually released by Mattel. And it was produced by uh, VPL and AGE, which are not companies that you know. But AGE actually made Visionaries. I don't know if you guys remember those. Oh, yeah. There were little action figures with uh, holograms, holograms oh. in the chest. Yes. Yeah. So in But in 1989, everybody wanted one of these items I'm going to talk about here. They even leveraged a movie to propel the marketing for this hot little item, and kids wanted it even more because of this. The Fred Savage cult classic, The Wizard, was released in December of 1989 and basically served as nothing more than a catalyst and an hour and 40-minute infomercial for... <laughs> The Power Glove. Ah. If you were a kid in 1989, you remember the lead up and the hype that was built around the Power Glove, much like Nintendo had done with the Rob a few years prior that we talked about in the episode before. The Power Glove was being pushed hardcore. It was like in the gaming rags. It was on TV. I don't know if you guys remember the commercial where the kid's like in this like abandoned factory that just so happens to have a fucking... 50 foot screen in front of him and he's playing mike tyson's punch out with the glove on and he ends up knocking out a bald bull yeah at the end of the commercial do you remember the commercial i
2: do who was the kid in that commercial
1: i don't know it's not who you're gonna who you think it. are you gonna think it's paul rudd yeah, it's not that's
2: not the paul rudd nah, commercial no
1: nah, the the paul rudd it's similar but the paul rudd one's outside at a drive-in
2: Oh, sorry. It looked like a warehouse to me, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's the same. It's shot the same way, but it was a licensed Nintendo product. It wasn't actually a Nintendo product. That said, I know the glove wasn't great as far as gameplay goes, but it's way ahead of its time. It was the first Jester-based video game like console or piece to be released at that time in 1989. Basically, I don't know if you guys ever had one, but you had to calibrate the glove with your television with this uh, three-piece set that was like in an, an L-shape, you had to hang over the side of the TV monitor. And I was uh, training people how to use smart boards like five or six years ago. They still use that same technology. So they were well ahead of their time in 1989. So, I mean, there's I can go on and on about the Power Glove, but everybody knows about the Power Glove. So that's what it is. October 13th, 1989, the Power Glove. And by the way, you can pick it up for $79.99. Wow. It was listed everywhere on sale, but that was pretty much what the MSRP was. If you look back today, if you're going to buy it in 2019, it'd be about $135. Damn.
3: that so. thing was the original Infinity Gauntlet.
1: It's fucking- it, <laughs> it was. Like, you didn't even need to use it for the gameplay. Like, if you just had one- No, just wear it to school. Yeah, it's fucking badass. You could wear it now and get away. Like, people on the Style Channel probably tell you to wear that shit with a
0: blazer. <laughs> If you have the power glove, that's a panty dropper. Oh, oh, yeah. no
1: doubt. <laughs> oh, to this day, yeah, oh, no doubt. Hold on, I did. I had to ask Mike Ranger because he's the uh, the resident expert of video games, and of course, Mike hasn't been on the show for a couple months. He just had a kid.
3: Yes, our condolences.
1: The power, the power glove worked. <laughs> it, was a, it was a real panty dropper, but this is what he said. I said, tell me something about the, the power glove. And this is, I, I quote him right here. He said, so I got a power glove for Christmas after seeing the wizard. And let me tell you, it was the most amazing and terrible Christmas morning within an hour. Oh. <laughs> so thank you, Mike Ranger, for that. But again, he did get his child out of it, I'm sure. So there it is. Power glove.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully he doesn't let his child hang out in abandoned warehouses when he's older.
2: <laughs> I feel like that's that's just poor parenting. Who's that
3: kid's parents, for Christ's sake?
2: Exactly. Or we'll go to drive-in movie theaters that look like abandoned warehouses. <laughs> All right. Male enhancement talents. Over to you guys.
3: Let's see. Hot products for October 1998. October 2nd, 1998. A video game uh, that changed my life for better. Released for the PC. I'm talking about NFL Blitz. So good. Uh, Began as a 1997 arcade game that was ported to home consoles and spawned a series of sequels uh, rather than being designed as a realistic interpretation of the sport of football like Madden uh, or the NFL 2K series. Blitz was uh, created as this really over the top kind of exaggerated version of the sport, almost like professional wrestling meets football. Uh, years kinda. later, we would get the uh, the XFL, so it all kind of worked out. <laughs> uh, no new games have uh, been released since 2012, but it did. I mean, it had some staying power in that, uh, but it has experienced a, a pretty good resurgence in popularity, like uh, the arcade cabinets as arcades kind of become popular again. Uh, there's usually an NFL Blitz or Blitz 2000 console in those places. Uh, so that's what I got. The uh, the PC version, not the arcade version, but the PC port of NFL Blitz released October second, nineteen ninety
0: eight. Yeah, that game was so good. Uh, one of my one of my good, good friends actually has uh, the arcade game uh, at his it. house. It's so good. But and yeah, the Blitz was it's it's almost like the NBA Jam uh, uh, yeah. for football. Yeah, pretty yeah.
1: much. Yep. Uh,
0: so much fun. Uh, you would just like, and the best part about the game was like drilling somebody after the play was over in the locker
3: room. Oh yeah.
0: No, that was, that was NFL Blitz 4. I think that was like 2001 that came out.
2: Um, yeah, that yeah. was the year Tom Brady entered the game.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: that's how, that's how Drew Bledsoe got oh,
1: hurt. Come on. Know your audience, fucker. You're Jesus. Right. Know, know your judge. <laughs> Enter the game before
3: it enters you. Power Glove. Oh, love,
2: love. All right, Drew, over to you for HUD products. All right. So on October
0: 21st, 1998, Massive Buzz was created because the Game Boy Color was released in Japan and later it was released in November uh, of the same year to international markets. Uh, but yeah, the, it is the successor of the Game Boy and definitely continued the Game Boy family. And I know the release was in Japan, but man, that was a super hot product. And once it was available, people lost their damn minds. Uh, I was I was one of those people. I love that, and it was it was fun to actually have a handheld game where you could actually play things in color and What was cool about it was that you could also still use the regular Game Boy games on there, so it kind of kind of went both ways uh, a little bit there so uh, and the game like blitz exactly just like NFL blitz <laughs> um, The Game Boy and the Game Boy Color combined have sold over hundred and eighteen million units worldwide, so uh, a few people liked it, I think.
2: Oh, yeah, you're right, man. I mean, when that came out, everybody went nuts. But everybody went nuts when it came out in the United States. I don't know about you. I wasn't excited when it came out in Japan. But- <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I read about it.
0: I, oh. I remember reading about it. I was like, oh, it's available in Japan. That means it's coming over here soon. So I, I, I got on the hype train uh, as soon as it was released in Japan. Uh, so I was like, it's only a matter of time before it's available here. And
1: You know what's really cool about it, though, and you didn't, you didn't mention this? You could play it at night.
0: Um, uh, I don't think it did. I don't think it was backlit. Oh, really? I
1: thought the color one was backlit. No, uh, I, maybe don't, I'm thinking I don't. I don't think the flip the, open one.
0: The so the I think that one was backlit. But yeah, the Game Boy Color was not backlit, which kind of sucks. Oh, garbage. Um, but it was so fun because it was color. I think I, I forget what wrestling game I had on there. It might have been like a WrestleMania game, but that was a friggin' blast. I played the crap out of that. But Game Boy Color and I, and the Game Boy Advance is pretty sweet too. Although that was, I don't think that was backlit either that came out probably like early 2000s but you had like a little like light attachment you could
1: yeah, get with it yeah yeah, yeah yeah that yeah you're right damn that must have been way later when they got the light i remember playing the one with the light and i had the shitty black and or the monochrome one that came out in the late 80s mm-hmm. that uh, was so that would be yeah that was
0: the original yeah
1: yeah that was a bitch to play anywhere there was either too much light or no light it was just garbage Yep. but anyhow good picks
0: garbage that sold 118 million units judge yeah (laughs) Yeah, was it 118 million units in japan only worldwide
4: worldwide so that means everybody loved it this is true well i'm going to tell you right now you know uh the game boy color thing that would have been like the atomic bomb of the category and just blew all you guys up but that whole japan thing is kind of throwing a wrench into my decision here but i'm looking at 89 right pam anderson playboy mark you have any of the sales figures on that
2: I I do not have the sales figures for that, and I think it would be really hard to track because, again, that's something that the sales figures have got have increased over time because she's been on the cover fourteen times, so it keeps and, selling uh, more each time she was on the cover. Well, was at least sold three. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and mine was uh, mine was six hundred and fifty four thousand units in the first six weeks. Look
4: who comes prepared! So- Look at that.
1: That one All was right. a barn burner, and then it fizzled quickly.
4: Yeah, well, the Pam Anderson cover, uh, impressive. You mentioned there was a Keith Richard Richards interview inside, but on the outside of the magazine, she was being hogged by Tommy Lee, which is kind of <laughs> gross. Uh, the Wizard, the Power Glove, man, the Power Glove, I was too poor to own one, especially at that MSRP that you mentioned of basically 80 bucks, but it was a status symbol. I remember that vividly. And now I know the Power Glove is a terrible prophylactic <laughs> uh, NFL Blitz. The PC port, I get the 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 staying power, the popularity of the game, but it wasn't the original arcade release. Uh, I do understand it was the first home release being the PC and then back to the Game Boy Color. That Japan thing makes it tough for me. I don't know. Guys, this was a really good one played by both sides. But you know what? I'm gonna have to give it Ooh to the male enhancement talents because wow. that because even though it was released in Japan on that year, the way it just dominated the world afterwards was just an impressive thing and, and cannot be ignored.
2: All right, male enhancement talents. You win the round, take control of the board. What category would you like to go next for the final one point round?
3: What are you uh what are you leaning toward here, Drew?
2: I
0: feel like news, but I'll, I'll defer to you this time.
3: Let's go news. Let's do the news.
0: All right. Do you want to go first? Or you want to go second? Uh, you go ahead and go. Okay. So news, gentlemen. October 8th, 1998, the United States House of Representatives voted to commence impeachment proceedings against President Bill Clinton on charges of lying about his affair with Monica Lewinsky. The Senate trial began on January 9th, 1999, presided over by Chief Justice William Rehnquist. And just over a month later, Clinton was then acquitted by the Senate and the impeachment was shelved. And no U.S. president has ever successfully been impeached. Richard Nixon resigned before the proceedings, which most likely would have succeeded. Uh, And then Andrew Johnson was acquitted by one vote. As you all remember, that one back in 1868, and obviously like, uh, yesterday. like
3: yesterday, yeah,
0: I know, I know, uh, and the impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump is still underway, obviously, but yeah, so Bill Clinton, that was a uh, pretty big news because he was kind of the president.
2: Yeah, good story, man. That is
0: huge. Yeah,
3: it's some pretty girthy news, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke them if you
1: got them. <laughs>
3: Oh, uh, let's see. This is, uh, this I was actually kind of surprised at this is a pretty pivotal thing. October 15th, uh, let's see. American Airlines became the first airline to offer electronic ticketing in all 44 countries it serves. Wow. Uh, I found this article from the October 1st, 1998 edition of the Fort Myers, Florida News Press, which says the airline plans to initiate electronic ticketing for its entire system by October 15th, saying it will begin electronic ticket itinerary confirmation and receipts by email in october now this is probably back about the time that you're still using aol discs from the mail (laughs) to get your email yeah uh what else does it say here electronic tickets will also be available for americans uh, regional airline affiliate american eagle uh, who also made great clothes in addition to being a great flight Electronic ticketing allows customers with pre-reserved seats to directly board the aircraft by inserting their credit card or membership card into an electronic gate reader while an agent checks identification. So not much has really changed now. I mean, you can obviously pay uh, for your seat and your ticket and all that stuff. But the process of checking in and, you know, having all that ahead of time, keeping everything electronically tracked, that's uh, that's still used today. So this was pretty uh, pretty cutting edge for American Airlines back in October of 98.
1: You know, you can edit that up. To where he says, uh, "You insert your member into an agent." <laughs> <laughs> Be way more fun of a story. And
3: here we are, pulling it all back around to NFL Blitz, <laughs>
0: <laughs> while wearing the power glove and the power glove.
1: <laughs> yes, there's a movie right there. And there's uh, we're laying the roots down. I oh man, I like literally. It. <laughs> nothing but, but dick and jart jokes.
3: <laughs> stick your dick into the power glove
1: i don't know why i was gonna say dick and jart jokes because that would not <laughs> be funny
4: yeah jarts are illegal right <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> there is some fetish out there i'm sure all right anyhow uh mark you want to go first for this round
2: sure stick with it Alright, October 3rd, 1989, the Oakland Raiders promote 42-year-old Art Shell as the first African-American to be an NFL head coach in modern times. You know, one night, Art Shell climbs into bed. He's watching Nightline, and his phone rings. And it's Al Davis, owner of the Oakland Raiders. And he says, I'm thinking about making a switch. I'm thinking about making you the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. Now, see, Mike Shanahan was currently the head coach, and Shell was a, an offensive line coach under him. So on October 9th, the first NFL game coached by an African American, Art Shell, where his LA Raiders beat the New York Jets 14 7 on Monday Night Football. The Raiders were in last place at the time, and the game was scoreless at the half. Shell knew what was wrong as they were trailing in the game. Uh, the players were playing a little too hard trying to win the game. For Art Shell, he called him at the halftime and he said, you know, I want to win this game too, but not for me. I want to win it for the Raiders. So relax and play smart. And at the end of the day, that's really why Davis brought Art Shell in as the head coach, because true and true, he was an Oakland Raider and he knew the system. Because of the persistence of coaches like Shell and others, a number of black assistant coaches went from 14 in 1980 to 199 in 2012. And if we look at the NFL today, there's two black coaches in the NFL currently, Mike Tomlin and Anthony Lynn of the Chargers, in a league that is currently 70% African-American. So hats off to one of the great Hall of Famers of all time, Art Shell.
3: I just still can't get over that he was watching Nightline.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. that's.
0: I love how that's your key takeaway yeah. from that whole thing.
1: <laughs> that, that's code for beaten off while wearing your power glove. Who's invested <laughs> in listening to fucking Ted i Ca- I'm Ted Kapel. We just found the star of our movie, Art Shell. <laughs> that
0: team was pretty. That team was pretty good though. Yeah, they had Bo Jackson back then and Marcus Allen. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a pretty damn good backfield.
2: Yeah, Art Shell really was the perfect coach. The players respected him. He was a former player himself, and you know, like I said, he was a Raider, true and true, true and true. He knew the Raider way, and you know, if you watch football, and if you're a Raiders fan, or even if you an NFL fan, you know what I'm talking about. There's a there's a way and a system, kind of a culture to that club, and he got that.
1: That's right. And they beat the Jets, so you know they were good.
2: Yeah, that's why you didn't want to take this one, because you didn't want to admit that they beat the
1: Jets. <laughs> oh, I, can, I can, Every team beats the Jets. Except Dallas. Yeah, well, every dog has his day, I guess. October 1st, 1989. The country of Denmark did something really progressive, something that the United States didn't do until 2015. And I say that like kind of, there's still red tape surrounding this in some places, But anyhow, the article, it's not even from the Associated Press. It's from the United Press International because this is an international story. And the title is Homosexuals Marry in Denmark, Copenhagen, Denmark, a clergyman and a psychologist and 10 other male couples were married Sunday in the first wedding ceremony under Denmark's new registered partnership law, which allows homosexuals to get married. The law believed to be the first of its type in the world was passed by Parliament in May, and it gives homosexual couples who choose to get married the same rights and responsibilities as traditional married couples in all areas, but adoption. And the article goes on and on. But, I mean, that's pretty damn monumental. that This happened yeah. in 1989, and we're still, like, going through the woods with this in the United States in 20, uh, 2019. So there it is. Homosexuals marry for the first time legally in the world in denmark
3: you started that story out i thought you were going to turn it into a walk into a bar joke
1: <laughs> it's like where is this this is going
3: to be a whale of a punchline
1: i don't know but this fits into the movie <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right over to our judge dave schultz for the news round
4: all right let's take a look at 98 first uh, the house of representatives they started the impeachment of clinton the hearings was that right drew correct Okay. All right. Well, Clinton was my guy. He was the first president I ever voted for. If that cigar was on eBay, I would buy it. All right. Hey. (laughs) Wouldn't you all? I mean, that was a very um, big moment in American history. The American Airlines, right? The electronic ticketing. Mm -hmm. uh, Receipts by email. That's some serious technology for the day. It set the table for the way that I enjoy to fly. Uh, Cutting-edge technology. But my real question about that was, did it even work?
3: Uh, I, I I presume so. I mean, they're still using it now, yeah.
4: Yeah, I'm sure there was some glitches along the way, so I bet you- Yeah, I can't kind of... imagine
3: that was a seamless implementation, but still, uh, their heart was in the right place.
1: <laughs> we sent it to your email. The <laughs> what the hell's is an email? email? <laughs>
4: <laughs> All right, on to 89, the Art Shell Masterpiece Theater. Mark did a fine job of- telling me the backstory about Art Shell in his home. He even brought me to the locker room at halftime for a motivational speech. So that was really nice. But but you know what? The, the first African-American head coach in the NFL, that is a really, really big deal. And then on the man crush here, the thing with Denmark, when you brought the homosexual marriage, I was going to even ask you, was it the first legalized marriage in any country to which you said it was the first of its type? So- I don't know why my voice just raised when I said type, but it uh, <laughs> must be the topic here. But anyway, those are both really important milestones in the history of one of the NFL and for two, the world. So the Mama Lukes, you guys got this one by a slam dunk.
1: Mm. Ooh, man! That's a Frederick Weiss dunk on that one.
2: That gives us a two to one lead and control of the board. Where do you want to go for this one, Roman Crush?
1: I don't know what do you, What do you want to do? I mean, we haven't finished with movies in a while. Do you want to finish with movies? Because it's been a while since movies has had its uh, its due.
2: Yeah, we can do that. Let's finish with movies. All right, so we'll go music. We'll go music.
1: All right, so we'll go music. All right. All right,
2: you start off this round, man.
1: All right, sounds good. October twentieth, nineteen eighty nine. We get the studio album, the studio debut album from an iconic industrialish rock band. It's hard to really. Pick a specific genre when you know the band I'm talking about. Uh, But they sold tens of millions of albums in their existence. They won two Grammys. They were nominated for 11 more. The band is seen, especially the front man, as one of the most influential musicians of the past 30 years. Uh, And it all started right here with their debut album, Pretty Hate Machine Mm -hmm. by Nine Inch Nails. And I use the term there loosely because amazingly like trent reznor basically has a new backing band for every album and he's had nine albums so that that right there is amazing uh but here i'm going to give some uh mark james backstory uh you know reznor was working nights as a custodian or a janitor back in 1989 uh, at some record studio in cleveland and when they weren't using the studio he would jump in there and use the equipment to string together his own stuff at night he ended up putting a demo together and all his experimentation comes out in this album. You have samplings from Jane's Addiction on here, Prince. He even utilizes some Public Enemy percussion tracks where he flips them backwards and loops them. And then they're all modulated. He did it on a Macintosh computer. Uh, and it sounds really different from the actual uh, Public Enemy sound. Uh, but he was doing all kinds of stuff. And it, it was all on his own. He's like a mad musical scientist. And he it started right here. Basically, a midnight janitor went to reach commercial success via word of mouth over the first couple of years. He ended up leaving TVT Records uh, by their second album. I guess they weren't tossing enough money out for marketing, which makes sense because it's an independent label. And it still ended up going three times platinum, selling over three million records till now. Uh, But the impressive thing is that it hit platinum status in 1995 becoming one of the first independently released albums to reach 1 million sales or going platinum. So that's pretty big. Uh, the album featured three singles, uh, Down On It, Sin, and of course, Head Like a Hole, which is timeless. You can listen to any time. And this one wasn't a, uh, a single, but Terrible Lies on this too, which is pretty popular. But uh, October 20th, 1989, Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine.
2: All right, we'll go with my music selection. And you know, as the advertisements for this one read, on Halloween, the dead will rise again. Released October 31st, 1989, the 13th and final studio album from the Grateful Dead, built to last, was released. It reached 27th on the Billboard 200 and its first single, Foolish Heart, reached number eight on the mainstream rock charts. And it was certified gold. And, you know, sometimes here on Dueling Decades, we got to use all of our resources to dig up information. You know, we like to incorporate our listeners of the show and our people from our Facebook group. So I reached out to a fellow uh, listener and Facebook group member, Bill Weber, who happens to be a fellow deadhead. And uh, he did remind me that October 89 was one of the top tours for the dead that year. They started off here in Hampton, Virginia, but going under the name The Warlocks, which is the first time they had used that name since 1965. He also told me that was the year that they first banned camping and parking lots uh, because it was getting too big and crazy. And also in October of 89, a fan named Adam Katz. He was murdered by the security guards, and it's a crime that is still unsolved today. So uh, 1989, October, crazy month for the dead. And it all ended on October 31st when they released Built to Last, their final studio album. Has the songs Foolish Heart, Just a Little Light, Built to Last, Blow Away, my personal favorite, Victim of the Crime, We Can Run, Standing on the Moon, Picasso Moon, and I Will Take You Home. Heavily features keyboardist Brent Midland who would pass away less than a year later. So Built to Last, released October 31st. Nineteen eighty nine from the Grateful Dead. Was that the concerts that Roseanne and Tom were at? It was. It wasn't <laughs> the concerts. Uh, the concerts mm. they were at were in L.A.
0: But uh, okay, yeah. I feel like that would have been like. I would actually give the round to you if you could actually tie that together.
3: Yeah, that's just a thread running through this episode.
0: Like that would have been that would have been amazing. Like two rounds in one, opposite leg of the tour,
2: but same time period. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Roseanne's legs were elsewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and where was that murder at
2: the murder was at the meadowlands it was at uh again the uh, what's the name of it brendan Byrne. The brendan Byrne brendan yeah. Burn
1: arena oh, the reason i said that is because that's now two episodes in a row that the brendan Byrne arena has come up which is bizarre
2: yeah the security guards gave him a forceful exit they kind of they actually <laughs> tossed him over a railing and then Jeez. beat him up and then tossed him out into the highway um, he died the next day. So yeah, I mean it was a, oh, you'll a major have thing. That. So
1: at a grateful dead concert of all fucking places. <laughs> what a shitty place for violence. It
2: is. It really is. And it's it's so not typical of what you'd see at a dead show. And so it's crazy. But yeah, I had to reach out to uh Bill Weber. Big shout out to him for helping me on this one. I gave him a heads up of what I was picking and uh he helped us out.
3: God, it's like a homicide of a James Taylor concert unplugged. Oh.
2: <laughs> I've seen fire, I've seen rain, I've seen homicide. <laughs> I had my throat slashed. <laughs> Going to Carolina. Oh my God. <laughs> all right, male enhancement talents. Over to you guys. What do you guys have for music?
3: Oh goodness, music. Um this is uh this is a big one. You can you can laugh about this all you want, but this was this pretty pivotal. Uh, In music, the 22nd solo studio album, for one, uh, by singer and actress of America, Cher. Uh, The record is titled Believe. It was released October 22nd, 1998. The album dedicated to her former husband, Sonny Bono, who uh, had died earlier that year in a skiing accident, to which she responded, I got you, babe. Um, The album features some of the new technology of the time. This is why this is pivotal. Uh, The usage of auto-tune. One of the first albums to feature this technology, which uh, would eventually, I I guess, I didn't know this was a thing, but it said would eventually become known as the share effect. Uh, So that is one of the reasons this album was so pivotal. Uh, The record peaked at number four on the Billboard 200, certified quadruple platinum uh, for shipping 4 million copies across the U.S. Record topped the charts not only in the U.S., but Austria, Canada, Denmark, Germany, New Zealand, and Portugal charted within the top 10 in France, Spain, the United Kingdom, United States, and several other international territories. Four singles released from the album. Believe became one of the biggest selling singles ever by topping the charts in a total of 23 countries and has sold more than 10 million copies. Nominated for Best Pop Album of the Year, the title track won the Best Dance Recording was nominated for Record of the Year. October twenty-second, 1998, Believe by Cher, the 22nd 22nd studio album that's just unbelievable.
0: Yeah, that was huge and I, I think that was the first album to use uh autotune which has you know as we know it's pretty much like shaped the landscape of pop music. Uh pretty much everybody uses it now. So we, we know whether you like it or not but that's pop music. That's what they do. So that was definitely uh a landmark technology that they used.
1: Yeah. Wild thanks for record. bringing us uh, T-Pain and Akon. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: Does that make Cher like their godmother? <laughs>
0: oh, they're not the only ones. I wonder if she had those like assless chaps that she had in uh, what was that video from like the eighties? Was it? Uh, she's like an aircraft carrier with Turn her back like time. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> oh, someone's a Cher fan. We found our movie soundtrack.
4: <laughs> Smoke him if you got how them. much of a fan.
0: How much of a fan I am, we'll see.
3: He's more <laughs> of a gypsies, tramps, and thieves era fan.
0: All right, yeah, that was that was a good one. Um, so I am going with. Uh, On October 23rd, 1998, uh, people started liking uh, school outfits because the single for Baby One More Time was released. Mm. Um, Now, uh, the single came out in October, October 23rd, 1998, and it was a pretty big deal. Uh, It hit number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and the single has gone platinum in the U.S. and two times platinum in the U.K., and the single alone has sold over 4.4 million copies. And the song "Baby One More Time" has been streamed on Spotify over 245 million times. So, uh, I think a few people like it. And that, I mean that that kicked off uh, Britney Spears' career, as we know her and love her today. Uh, she's one of the most successful and celebrated entertainers in pop history, with nearly 100 million records sold worldwide. And in the U.S. alone, she has sold more than 70 million albums, singles, and songs, according to our good friends over at Nielsen Music. So maybe one more time, October 23rd, 1998 started a revolution. Think
3: about all the the people that came like at that same, you got like Christina Aguilera and Backstreet yep. Boys and NSYNC and all those, you know, wet turds, whether or not you liked them, they're still like, they're selling out stadiums and arenas in 2019.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Brittany, I think had her show in Vegas too. Yeah. And that yeah. was huge. So yeah, I mean it. She's one of the biggest pop stars in the last 30 She's years. She's
3: actually, believe it or not, my first concert was Britney Spears.
2: Wow. You, uh, yeah. Losing wow. points I believe, right it, I believe it. I shit you not. So here's the question. Oh, man. Better schoolgirl <laughs> uniform, Pam Anderson or Britney Spears? Oh. share Britney. <laughs> uh,
3: I'm going to go on the outskirts here. I'm going to say Delta Burke.
2: Ooh, Ooh,
0: Solid choice. A real
3: woman. Boy, she had a great personality.
0: Mm, Did she ever.
1: (laughs) All right, off to David Schultz for the judgment.
4: This is a really good category, guys. Both teams did a really good job. Uh, 89, Pretty Hate Machine, Nine Inch Nails, the virtuoso of music, Trent Reznor. Plus, he made Looking Grody cool before before Kurt Cobain did. Uh, Man Crush, you didn't mention, Head Like a Hole is a classic you can listen to at any time but I wouldn't recommend listening to it at Christmas with Nana. Let's see. The Grateful Dead. Built to last. But I do have a problem with that album title because, Mark, you mentioned it was the final studio album, and did the keyboardist die?
3: Yeah, the record killed him. Yeah, the, the yeah I was going to say,
4: that's, it wasn't I can't named do well. It anymore. It's too cool. <laughs> I'm not built to last. Goodbye, cruel world. I don't know when. When did Jerry Garcia die? Ninety five. You know top of your head, 90, So he was built well to last a little longer. Um, <laughs> just even hearing the Grateful Dead, just I got the, this taste of patchouli on the tip of my tongue. I can't get off. Yeah, isn't that great?
0: <laughs> can I? Can I interest? Can I interest you in some Jersey Licious gum? Uh,
4: can I have some, please?
0: That might. That might
4: cleanse the flavor.
3: Get that taste out of your
4: mouth. Now, in ninety eight, share the the album Believe. Uh, I'd rather have my mouth taste like patchouli than have to hear that song again uh, because it was played it's a ad nauseum. It's, yeah, it's a banger. right? It makes me want to bang my head against the wall. <laughs> and now the whole thing with auto-tuner, you said octo-tune being a, a trendsetter in music. That might be true, but I'm a little bit biased against that because I believe even earlier in the 90s, me and a group of friends invented that sound baked playing with the echo pedal for a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Now, another song that makes me want to ram my head into the wall until it bleeds, Baby One More Time from Britney Spears. Now, it's important, though, because without that song, we wouldn't have Britney Shaved Head, Britney Cooch, or Britney Umbrella Attack. (laughs) (laughs) These are all important milestones in music. But I think what this category is going to boil down to is just sheer numbers. And when you look at the Cher album and you look at the Britney Spears debut they just really cannot be beat so therefore
2: 98 wins the round
4: wow Oof. Oh, rat
2: male enhancement talents you guys make a big comeback take the lead 3 to 2 going into the final round would you guys like to go first or do you want to defer
3: oh i just don't know
2: this is boy there's a lot of pressure in this decision let's,
0: um let's
3: go first let's blow yeah. our wad here <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got uh, movies of 1998, October 1998. Oh, by the way, my honorable mention for music was uh, October 16th, New Radicals released Maybe You've Been Brainwashed 2, which is one of my favorite records of all time. It was a one and done.
4: Yeah, nobody cares.
3: Just gonna put that out there. <laughs> anyway,
4: <laughs> wow, that was like Over the bonus points. Fuck yeah, to right? the judge. Hey, judge. By the way, here's an album nobody gave a fuck about <laughs> right except for the me.
0: jugular. Ouch. I think the listeners of this podcast would greatly enjoy to hear that. They so mind. thank you for sharing. I don't know. Though. We'll see. <laughs> thank it.
3: you. Anyway, on to movies. Uh, October 30th, 1998. So just barely making the cut here. Uh, Edward Norton and Edward Furlong. It's Ed Squared and American History X. Uh, Ed Norton nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor for this, uh, this show, movie, whatever you want to call it. Uh, film grossed $156,076 during its opening weekend, but it would end think, up earning a total- I think
1: $1,000,000, not $156,000. Uh, yeah, that's
3: probably a typo on my part. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Actually, no, it was $156,076 during its opening weekend, but it would go on to earn a total box office gross worldwide of $23,875,127. If you're not familiar with the film, uh, it tells the story of two brothers from Venice, Los Angeles, who become uh, involved in a white supremacist neo-Nazi movement. The older brother, portrayed by Edward Norton, serves three years in prison for voluntary manslaughter. Changes his beliefs and tries to prevent his brother from going down the same path without giving too much away. That's your synopsis. Uh, I will say my honorable mention for this one is uh, Pleasantville.
1: It also gave us uh, Seth Rollins' finishing move. So. Yes, it did. Oh, that's, no. a, that's a down for me.
3: No. That's a big <laughs> down, man. Yikes. Man, if only we could see Ed Norton deliver that in a WWE ring before we kick <laughs> the bucket.
1: We should be so lucky. On Seth Rollins. <laughs> They both do it to oh. each other.
0: <laughs> that movie, though, I I like it, but I'm like, I feel dirty
2: after watching it, I feel.
3: I feel like a piece of shit, yeah. Yeah. And also after I watch the movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> American History X, also known as White Guilt, the film. <laughs> Starring Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so,
0: great pick. Um, I'm going with a movie called Rushmore. Uh, came out October 9th, 1998, uh, an American coming-of-age comedy-drama film directed by the great Wes Anderson about an eccentric teenager named Max Fisher, played by Jason Schwartzman, which was his debut film, his friendship with a rich industrialist, Herman Bloom, which was played by the great and incomparable Bill Murray, uh, and their love in common for elementary school teacher Rosemary Cross, played by Olivia Williams. Uh, the film was co-written by, uh, by Anderson and Owen Wilson. Pretty good soundtrack on there, uh, but I think what was important. Now that the the numbers, eh. I think the the budget was 10 million. It made 19 million at the box office. However, the staying power of this movie is is where it's at. Now the film helped launch the careers of Wes Anderson and Jason Schwartzman, while establishing kind of like a, a comeback or a second career for Bill Murray. Uh, as kind of like a more of like a respected actor in independent movies at the 1989 independent spirit awards. Anderson won best director award and Murray won best supporting male award. And Murray also earned a nomination for a golden globe award for best supporting actor. Now here is another fun fact for you guys. Rushmore is considered one of Anderson's finest works and was ranked one of the best films of the nineties by several publications. And then in 2016, the film was selected for preservation and the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant.
1: Wow, that You're is welcome. utter yeah. horseshit, because that movie <laughs> uh, blows. But wait, more! There's, there's one more. redeeming line from that entire movie, and I'll sum the entire movie up, and you don't know, ever have to watch it. They're OR scrubs. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best part of the whole movie. See, I
2: love that movie. I'm a big fan of Rushmore.
1: Mark, you're a fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Get me a goddamn partner over here. Look, if
3: this isn't good enough for you, please take this into consideration. It was between those movies, or we could have picked the October 2nd, 1998 release of the cultural phenomenon and classic, A Night at the
1: Roxbury.
2: Bo, you're a fucking idiot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I cannot believe that they put that movie in the film archives. A Night at the Roxbury? Why wouldn't they? Well, that I could see. It's America. It's where the
3: Butabi
2: brothers belong.
1: Rushmore. I actually saw Rushmore in the movie theater. I was uh, part of that $19 million figure.
2: (laughs) All right, Man Crush. You want to start this one out, or should I?
1: Uh, Yeah, I can start it out, I guess. Um, We went this whole episode without doing anything Halloween or horror, which is amazing to me. So... We couldn't do an October episode without a horror movie. Uh, I know horror is not David's thing, but it's Halloween. And speaking of which, if you haven't yet listened to our episode, was it two episodes ago where we had our Halloween playlist episode? If you don't know what to watch for Halloween, we got double features, 80s movies, 90s movies, all the way through to the 31st. Uh, We have put out a couple pictures to make it easy for people because people are lazy, don't want to listen to a full episode. Uh, So you can just go over to our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. Join the private group. And then within there, you'll see us post the pictures and you'll see this little calendar with all the little pictures on it. It makes it nice and easy. Anyway, October 27th, 1989. Uh, I could have cheese dicked it here and went with the holidays namesake and just selected Halloween five. But then I remembered what a huge piece of shit the sequel it is. So, I didn't pick it. Uh, so instead of choosing a John Carpenter flick, I decided to go with the other horror master or one of the other horror masters, Wes Craven. Uh, and the movie is actually part of our Halloween watch list. I don't know if it's coming up. I think it's coming up like maybe this week. I think it's on the list. So check that out. And I can confidently say that I enjoy this movie more than most of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Because as we all know, Wes Craven started the series. He did pretty much up to three. And then four and five were just like garbage. So he wanted to put out a movie that was more Wes Craven. And this is what he did instead. Uh, Bring in roughly $17 million at the box office. nineteen eighty nine. So you're looking about $35 million 2019. This movie featured the acting stylings of Peter Berg and Mitch Pellege. Anybody know those names? Peter Berg is pretty big. Mitch Pellege, you know, from X-Files. I don't know if you remember. He was the the boss guy on X-Files. He was actually Scully Mulder's boss. Uh, But he plays serial killer Horace Pinker. And after being sent to the electric chair, he comes back to life after making a deal with the devil in the movie. Shocker. Have you guys ever seen this? I've given a few. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> that goes without saying. I have never seen that. It, seriously, if you haven't seen this movie, go watch it. Because it's it's Nightmare on Elm Street with a different premise. I think it's actually scarier than Nightmare in Elm Street movies. Uh, they gave this one a hard R. And they had a hard time getting the R. They had to cut out like 15 minutes of film. They had to cut out all the shockers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, that would have made it rated X. Uh, but there's a scene where Mitch Peligie bites this dude's lip and just pulls it like a fucking piece of bubble gum. Maybe it was the uh, Jersey Licious. Jersey
0: Licious, yeah. Right off Makes sense. the
1: dude's <laughs> fucking face. It's it's pretty gruesome.
4: I, I have a question. Was this the yeah. film where the guy was being executed on death row and like he got zapped like his soul into electricity yes. or something? Yeah, stand- okay. yes. I didn't see that.
1: He stands in front of the television and he's like, hit me with it. Hit me with he's like does some fucking prayer thing in front of it and the TV shoots him with a laser bolt or a lightning bolt or some shit. He, he like, then he gets sucked up into the television. There's a really cool scene in this movie towards the end. Spoiler, uh, between Horace Pinker and, uh, Peter Berg's character where they're fighting in different TV shows. Do you remember this scene? Like in the beginning, they're in Hiroshima and they're fighting at one point. They're in the middle of a boxing match and you see, uh, Horse pickers in the background. He goes kick his ass while they're fighting between the two of them, and they just keep jumping from channel to channel.
2: Like stay tuned with John Ritter, only darker. Oh dude, there's
1: <laughs> there's one where they're uh, they jump into like Leave It to Beaver, and he's walking yeah. alongside the beeve It's fucking some good shit. <laughs> uh, definitely check it out if you haven't before. And this is how you know it's good. I had to write this one down. Uh, going through some old reviews, of course I love doing this. Some asshat. Named Johanna Steinmetz From the Chicago Tribune says It's a gory thrill show For underdeveloped sensibilities Yikes Well you fucking sign me up Douchemetz Because I'd watch this shit Any day of the fucking week And that's Shocker By Wes Craven
2: All right, so the movie I have actually won the 1990 People's Choice Award for Favorite Comedy Movie. It also won the Blimp Award for Favorite Movie at the Kids' Choice Awards that year. Uh, Off a budget of $7.5 million, the worldwide gross on this film was $296 million. The synopsis, you know, after a single career-minded woman is left on her own to give birth to a child of a married man, she finds a chance at new romance with a cab driver. Meanwhile, the point of view of her newborn son is narrated through a voiceover in Look Who's Talking. Released October 13th, 1989. Really not much has to be said about this movie. I think we've all seen it one too many times. Of course, it stars John Travolta, (laughs) Kirstie Alley, Olympia Dukakis, oh, and uh, Bruce Willis, George Segal, and uh, the sexy Abe Vigoda. How can you forget about him? God! Look who's talking. October 13th,
3: 1989.
1: So good. Just so good. So hot. That's part of, like, a Travolta comeback right there.
2: It is. You know, everyone accredited to Pulp Fiction, but really it was Look Who's Talking. He hadn't done a movie in, like, three or four years at the time, and it really sparked a comeback. It was kind of a new role for him. And Travolta says himself, the character that he played in the Look Who's Talking movies of James is a character that's actually
1: most like himself.
3: So he drinks breast milk. (laughs) <laughs> it
1: says a lot. Yeah. That's a thirteenth tier of Scientology's breast milk. <laughs> Duh. It's organic. <laughs> all right,
2: so that's all the picks. Judge Dave Schultz, over to you for the final ruling on this game.
4: Okie dokie. Let's see. 98 American History X. Uh this movie, like Jaws, which made people afraid of the water. This movie made people appreciate their dentists after the, uh, <laughs> the curbing scene, which was still just oh hurts me on uh, the inside. Rushmore, uh, I, th- I think you mentioned the numbers weren't all that hot to begin with, but it did achieve a cult status. Uh, Wes Anderson. Also cemented his place as the most boring filmmaker of all time, uh, starting with that film, so that that was good.
1: I bet you Johanna Steinmetz liked this movie. Well,
4: I'm going to bring him up in a minute. It's funny you brought that guy up, because with your pick, with Shocker, your enthusiasm was electric. It really was. And plus, you pulled a The Jerk Store called, and they ran out of you on a critic 30 years after the fact. That's,
1: That's pretty impressive that you did that you have it's so fun i'm I'm dead serious if you guys haven't already i know we talked about it before but newspapers.com sign up for a month even and just to go back if you're into movies and stuff like that go back and find a movie that's really big like the goonies and just find a bad review of it because there is at least one asshole that did and they're hilarious because you're like wow you're so fucking wrong you're so full of yourself just like fucking douche mats over here but yeah thank you thank you for that
4: Uh, Let's see, look who's talking, Mark's pick. Uh, My mother actually took me to see this film, and I was really excited to go see it, but she wasn't the moment the scene of chatty sperm popped up on the screen. I think I was a little (laughs) awkward for my mother at the time. There was a great cast in this movie, but I have one question here. Has it been preserved in any form or shape by historical society?
3: It sure ought to be (laughs) if it hasn't.
4: Exactly. You know what? You just read my, you took the words right out of my mouth. And uh, for that reason... No, I, you're not helping us. Nope, nope, you're not, actually. <laughs> I like I see him, man. I got to tell you, I, you know, again, the numbers are pretty good here with the Rushmore stuff. I like the stats. American History X, I remember watching that movie a lot. But 89, you guys, I don't know, you guys just sold me on it. And therefore, I have to give Mama Lukes the win on this round.
1: Mm. yeah holy Mm. shit i knew it was gonna be the late 80s we've talked about this ad nauseum you always feel like the next decade like the 90s you get the hangover years like 90 91 where they don't know what the fuck they really are the late 80s is kind of like that because we kind of get drained out of all the -the over-the-topness yeah and then by like 88 it's kind of like oh 90s coming let's start changing shit up early and some of the stuff is just Weird. I don't. Let's know. Let's put I don't the Christmas
3: paraphernalia out in October. Yes. <laughs> Same premise.
4: You just made like the decade sound like draining a goiter. <laughs> like, it, oh. it builds up. It builds up, and then we just got to release, and then you know, in the next decade, we start new again.
1: It's yeah. You know what? That's with really it with a new where a lot of them are. <laughs> I think the nineties. The nineties are a little bit different. I think they kept it up a little bit longer, just because it, in my eyes the middle was more monumental than the beginning and the end just because like i graduated high school and stuff like that but i think uh as far as the 90s go and drew you cover the 90s all the time where would you yep. say like the hot spot is in that 10 year decade period
0: 94 so yeah right in the middle yeah it's- I mean, 94, I mean, like albums you had out that year, Yep. Uh, like you had Soundgarden, Super Unknown, Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails, Dookie, Green Day, uh, Jar Flies, Alice in Chance, like so many like, good albums, movies too, right? You had Pulp Fiction, you had uh, uh, classics, Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura, um, Shawshank Redemption. I mean, there's a ton of just phenomenal pop culture going on at that time. And then it kind of like went a completely different direction towards the late
1: 90s, right? With a lot of that pop. Stuff like with the Britney Spears and Cher. Yep. Isn't it? It's crazy how, and I noticed this after doing on so many episodes, is music started making a shit ton of money and movies started losing a shit ton of money towards the late 90s. Like big time.
3: Makes you wonder where they're at now. You kind of in that comparison, where they stand today, like music and movies as far as financial. That's
0: going to be tough to compare Music, just with all like the digital, like with Spotify and all like the streaming music and stuff to try to put a number on. It's tricky. Even with television,
1: television, like look at, you know, we just talked about before, but like the Monday Night Raw is Charmed getting a 7.7. And then you look at Friday Night Smackdown now that's on Fox. It's on one of the, the big networks and they got like a three. You know, it's it's weird. You know, over 20 years, just nobody's watching TV anymore.
2: Yeah, there's just too many options now. There's, you know, instead of four channels, there's 400. Plus, you have all the streaming options and online. Plus, not to mention, nobody's watching TV anyway, because they're all listening to Dueling Decades. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Obviously. So, I mean, come on. Everyone Uh, knows
1: that. Not on the first day. They usually wait. They wait a couple days. Uh
2: They wait a couple days. All right. Well, on that note, I guess we'll end this episode right here, Duelers. And thanks again to our guest for this episode, Drew Zachman. Drew, tell us about your show and tell people where they can listen to it. Yeah.
0: uh, I am on. uh, So I I run the One Headlight 90s podcast. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. I'm pretty much all over the place. Uh, We just talk about all kinds of things 90s. uh, I did a couple episodes on uh, some of the best video games from the 90s, I did some on some of the best uh, movie soundtracks. Uh, so we kind of cover a wide variety of topics, music, sports, uh, movies, kind of all over the place. But, you know, we're trying to capture as much from the 90s as possible. Uh, have a, a, actually, I just did a, a, a 90s running mix uh, that I shared on Spotify for people if they're big runners. Uh, but uh, next few episodes coming up, we're tackling Beavis and Butthead. Check them out. Uh, yeah, so one headlight 90s podcast. and You can find me on Twitter. I'm at one Podcast. And guys, thanks for having me on.
1: Hey, thanks again, man. Thank
2: you, man. All right, and over to our judge, Dave Schultz. Dave, tell our listeners where they can hear you when you're not on Dueling Decades.
4: Well, I hope to be on Dueling Decades more often because it's the best show on the face of the earth, man. Uh, (laughs) I host a selling out show on infirmary.org. Just like Drew said, you can pretty much hear my podcast anywhere on the face of the earth. And sometimes I perform on the streets for banana peels or scraps of food. So just keep a lookout, and you most likely will see me.
0: Do you perform for Jersey Jerseylicious? <laughs> I, I will now. You got some? Okay, I can find some around my basement somewhere.
4: I'll be waiting for you.
1: It's that insulation <laughs> above your head. <laughs> that,
0: yeah, that's probably what it tastes like. Chew on that. Some good old fashioned. Some good old fashioned. Now fiberglass. with asbestos.
4: <laughs> dude, no lie. I, dude, I gotta say this real quick. I had a buddy of mine back when we were in high school. He had to take a dump so bad. And the only place we could find was this really, no, listen, this really beat up old gas station. And he goes in, right? And then I'm waiting outside or whatever. He comes out like 10 minutes later walking funny. And I go, dude, what's the matter? He's like, oh, there's no toilet paper in there. <laughs> and I go, well, what do you use? He goes, I was looking around at, and I look up and there's some pink Panther insulation up there.
3: Oh! And I grabbed oh, it, oh, I pulled it oh, down. Oh, I used it
4: to wipe my ass. I said, dude, you got to go home and shower. You're probably gonna give yourself ass cancer for that by using that. You know what I mean? And that was the most <laughs> agonizing walk home. I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm sure he's ever had in his life.
3: So now Dave knows somebody that has been diagnosed with mesothelioma and may be entitled to a compensation <laughs> or structured settlement or annuity.
2: <laughs> Man, that's a walk of shame Ooh, if I you ever saw that. got that right. Oh,
3: that's a walk of pain.
2: Good God all right duelers so if you've missed an episode you can always head over to duelingdecades.com where you can subscribe to all of our past episodes on itunes of course and on Castbox. and then head over to facebook.com forward slash dueling decades where you can join our private group post some of your own retro memories of your own so until next time duelers we're going to bid you a peace love light and a joy have a grateful week
1: everyone infirmary media